Good morning. Would you please turn to Luke chapter 8? If you have your Bible or your phone or your tablet, and if you didn't, I have it up here too. I do want to put in a plug for Lake Day. You know, we talk a lot about community here, and it's really hard to find community during one hour during a Sunday morning. This is an awesome opportunity for you to get to know other people. You're looking for community. You want to find friendship. This is a great opportunity to step forward towards someone. And I want to encourage you, step forward to someone during Lake Day. Just show up. Bring your sunscreen. Bring your camp chair. Look out for wasps. I'm kidding. Well, no, I'm not really kidding. There are wasps. But um, you will find a great opportunity to get to know other people. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, Jesus told a story, a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some along, fell along the rock, and it grew up, and it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, obviously his disciples did not hear this. Because when they, they asked him, what are you talking about? What does this mean? What does this parable mean? And he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but as for others, they are in, for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and then in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures and distractions of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for those in the good soil, they are those who, those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Let him or her that has ears to hear, let them hear. God, we thank you for your word and speaking to us today. May your wisdom penetrate our hearts, that we become softened to hear what you have to say about those who have walked away from the faith, who have deconstructed. Lord, help us to be kind and gentle and patience, patient, and help us to receive what you have to say to us today. Amen. Part one. This is part three of a three-part series. If you missed the first two parts... That's okay. You're going to go back and listen to them. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. There, it's on our website, mounthelena.cc. It's on our Facebook page. You can go back. It's on Vimeo. It's on YouTube. But just go back and listen to them. 
I'm, I'm giving a plug for myself. Part one, we talked about how the book of Hebrews encourages us and gives us guidance regarding our journey and Christ on this earth. The author of Hebrews warns us as believers, stand firm in your faith and fix your eyes on Jesus as they too could fall away, as you could fall away. Part two, we said how we address those who are falling away or deconstructing. And so we looked at two passages from Colossians and James And we talked about our posture, how we prepare to speak to those, and our posture, we listen to understand first and later give responses out of love and humility. And I left you with the following question. What do I do with those who are deconstructing or have completely walked away and they refuse to engage me? And what if they've already done so and they don't want to talk to me and they want my help? Or could maybe put it another way. The one you love walks away from Jesus and the faith they once professed, but they want nothing to do with me or this Jesus that I follow. And that is so hard. And many of you might think, that's great. You don't understand what I have been through. You don't understand that I have poured my life, my faith. I have poured everything, my legacy into this person, my sister, my brother, the person that I mentored, the person that I served Christ alongside with, my child. And they have completely rejected everything that I've ever given them. And now it feels like they're on the fast track to hell. And you don't understand. Nobody understands Jesus understands. We're going to read a lot of Bible today. We looked at Luke 8, and we're going to skip ahead. Because Jesus, in fact, addresses this topic. Let's go to Luke 15. So skip ahead to Luke 15. And we're going to read the entire chapter together. And you're going to help me. Somebody's going to help me. Okay, I'm looking for, I'm going to look for a volunteer. Tate! Tate is going to volunteer. I'm coming over here. You can't read. Yes, he just graduated from school. So let's see if you can read this, okay? Tate, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three consecutive parables. Jesus tells three stories. And the one issue I didn't tell you, I forgot to tell you, you have a quiz afterwards, okay? It's a one-question quiz, Here you go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Oh, this is big. Yeah, I know it's big. big. (laughs) So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he is lost, has... Have, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And then when he has found it, he lays on it, his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance." Well done. That high school degree has come in handy. Okay, now here's, here's your question. 
Here's your question. The outcome of this, he went after the sheep. Was the outcome happy? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. He got it right. It was a good outcome. It was a good outcome. That's parable number one. Who wants to volunteer for parable number two? Okay, Tiffany. I just want control of the mic. Okay. Uh, Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay. Here's your one question quiz. Okay. Think hard. The outcome. Happy. Yes or no? Yes. A good outcome. We've gone through two parables and, and I know this feeling. I know that you have. For me, it's not a coin. For me, it's a contact lens. When my contact lens p- comes out like it did last week, I've got my coworkers, the custodian, I've got the grounds crew all on their hands and knees looking for my contact lens. Unfortunately, I did not have a good outcome, which is why I have two left contact lenses right now, and I'm not reading out of my Bible because I cannot see it. Okay, so I'm reading off the screen. It's ordered, it's coming in. But I know what it's like when you're looking. And in the moment, it feels you're never going to find it. Oh, I'm feeling it. But when you do find it, oh boy, there is rejoicing in heaven over my contact lens. Okay? Parable number three. Now what I want you to do is, as we're looking at this parable, many of you are familiar with it, is the story of the prodigal son. I want you to, this time, look through the eyes of the father. The father in this story is God. I want you to look through God's eyes. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, And he set off in a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Okay, I want to quick ask you a question. Does the father in the story, not just that, but the father in the story, does the father know what the son is doing necessarily? He does not. Okay? So he doesn't know that he's, but he does know that he took his inheritance and he's doing something with it. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And in this context, in this culture, for a Jew to get in the pen with a pig... To defile himself with an unclean animal is so detestable... That, the, that Jesus wants you to say, that is gross. And when he came to his senses, he said, <clears throat> how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up 
and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Pause. The outcome so far in the story Good, yes or no? Yes. Partway through the story, did the father know the outcome? No. Okay, he did not. I want to point out some observations about the father. Number one, he let him go. Notice the father releases the son, and by his own accord, he walks away. Despite the legacy and inheritance, the honor, he drops it all for himself, for his own desires. He is focused completely on himself. But the father doesn't panic. He doesn't gnash his teeth. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't freak out. He lets him go. And so what happens if someone who is walking away from the faith, who is walking away from the good inheritance that the Lord Jesus has given them, and they don't want it anymore, and who doesn't want to engage with us and wants to walk away, as hard as it may be, we follow the Father's example. We let them go. You can't hang on because it can and will damage your future relationship with them. Now, God's not a, he's not a permissive parent. He didn't change anything. He didn't change the rules of his house or the standards that he held. But he did allow him to willingly leave and leave the freedom of his, the structure of his house, and he lets him go. Here's the second part, second observation. He waits for him. Notice the father did not chase after him. But when he saw him from a long way off, he was looking for his son to return. He was ready when he did. He was prepared. He was preparing for him. Even though his son left home, the father never stopped loving him. The son's request for his inheritance at this point, it implies, it inherently implies, he is not coming back. Give me my money. I'm not coming back. But the father even though that's the case, still is looking out for him. He is preparing to engage him when the son was ready to engage. But in our world, we want results now. But in the way of Jesus, patience is key. And so for many of us who want a son or a daughter or a friend or someone else to return to the faith, this is the place that we're in now. We're in the messy middle of it. We don't see them on the horizon. We don't see them returning. We're looking out for them, hoping and praying and wishing. And I don't want to hope again 
because I'm afraid that it's just going to be dashed. And then we become disillusioned, angry, bitter, impatient, rejected because they're not coming back. But the Father waited with patience, and so will we. And we will pray, and we'll do this, just like we talked about in Hebrews. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not, de- not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of Jesus returning. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to meet together. We're in this together as a community, hoping, waiting, praying. Next observation. He is filled with compassion. He runs to him and he embraces him. What I want to do here is pause and linger and give you a little background. In the first century, a Middle Eastern man never, ever ran. Because what it would require him to do is he'd hike up his robe or his tunic and he would expose his bare legs. And in that culture, it's incredibly shameful and embarrassing to do that. It's humiliating. And so here's a question. If a man who finds it shameful ran in that culture, why would the father run when his son returned to him? What motivated him to shame himself? Okay, so now we have to do a little more background. In the book, The Cross and the Prodigal, Kenneth Bailey explains that if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among the Gentiles, which is what's happening in the story, and then he returned home, the community would perform a ceremony called the kazaza. That's kind of a cool word, the kazaza. I, I, I phonetically did it in English too here, so because I didn't know if you guys knew Hebrew. Um, but it means cutting off or severing of, co- of connections. And so what they would do is the, the son would come home and they would take a large pot and they would stand him in front of the entire community and they would take the pot and they'd throw it on the ground and it would shatter and they would yell, you are now cut off from your people. And the community would totally reject him. So why did the father run? He probably ran to get to his son before the community did, before he entered the village. The father runs and shames himself in an effort to get to his son before the community gets to him. So his son doesn't experience the shame and the humiliation of their taunting and rejection. And the community would have followed the father and they would have seen the embrace and the compassion, and the tears, and known that the son is accepted. There is no rejecting of the son, despite what he has done. The son had repented and returned to his father, and the father had taken the full shame that would have fallen on his son and clearly showed the entire community that he was welcomed back home. The father has taken the shame of the son. And our father has taken our shame through his son Jesus, who willingly endured the cross for us. And many of you, the reason I bring this up is many of you, you decide to take the shame 
of the sun upon yourself. If you're waiting for a prodigal to return, you have taken the shame rather than letting the father bear the shame. It is not your responsibility. I know many of you feel shame that a child or a friend or a mentee has turned their back and it's not your responsibility. It is time to let the shame go. And I know many of you think, if I had only done a better job, if I had only intervened, if I had only done more, God forgives the sins of our children. Whether they're adoptive, biological, or spiritual through repentance. And are, if, are they ready to repent? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not ever. But instead of taking on rejection and hurt, to take it personally, we have to have the posture of readiness, forgiveness, and acceptance. Because when they, if and when they are ready to receive them, to grant forgiveness, and let the Father bear the shame, not us. Number four, he celebrates him. The best robe, the ring to re-identify him with our family. The biggest party. He was dead and he's alive again. He is lost, but now he's found. And so let us take the posture. Like the father, the lost will be found. Let's not give in to despair. Let's be ready to celebrate with those who have walked away that they will return. The story's not over. Verse 25, meanwhile, oh, that word, meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on, and the brother, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. <laughs> the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, I have been slaving away for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this son of yours, notice he doesn't call him his brother, calls him this son of yours. I do that with my kids sometimes. Hillary! This child of yours is disobeying. This son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, this brother of yours, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There are those of us who are in the family that are following Jesus, and we sit and observe what happens with those who walk away. And maybe we make statements like, oh, he was never really one of us to begin with. Well, she's going to get what she deserves. And we sit and judge them. Or if they do return, we say, we're not ready to celebrate, we say, I'm going to wait on that and judge the fruit of their life before I'm ready to re-embrace them into this community, I'll tell you what. 
we're not going to be like the older brother. We are not going to be the older brother. Instead, we are going to join in what the Father is doing. We're going to join in the way of Jesus. When someone has questions about their faith or their faith is rocked, we're going to join in the process to help them rediscover their love for Jesus, to solidify their faith. We'll invite and sit and listen and to be a part of what God is doing and what he wants to do in their heart. And when someone leaves, when they walk away and they won't do these things, we're going to model the Father. We'll let them go. And we'll let them know that we're here for them when they're ready. We're not going to be rigid or bitter and condemning, but we will wait for them. And when they're ready to talk, we're going to be ready to listen. We're not going to push or shame or be passive aggressive. So if we're ready there, when they're ready to come back, we'll embrace them when they move from death back to life. I listened to a couple share a story about how they raised their children. And they had all sorts of problems with one of their daughters. Uh, From the very beginning, she got involved with friends that she shouldn't have. And she began dating boys that her parents said, that's not a good idea. And she was led away from her moral groundings. And then she got into drugs and bisexuality And due to a rebellion, she left at age 17. Her parents were distraught. And before she left home, her father told her, we will always leave the front porch light on for you if and when you're ready to come home. One year went by. No contact. But on her birthday... At three in the morning, she got in her car and she drove to her parents' house and she looked and she saw the front porch light on. She's still full of anger and bitterness toward her parents. And she drove past. Another year went by. On her birthday, that second year, she got in her car at three in the morning and went to her parents' house, and she looked, and there was the light. And every year on her birthday, she would return home to look for the light, and every year, there it was, and she would slowly drive by looking for the light. And as the years went on, her bitterness and anger turned to shame and regret And sadness. Fifteen years went by. And her grief for the harm that she had caused finally overcame her. And on that birthday, after 15 years of tearing up letters, not taking phone calls, silence. She got in her car and she drove to her parents' house. And at two in the morning, she stopped and turned off the engine. And she got out of her car and she made her way up the front walk at two in the morning. And as she got closer to the door, the door opened and there stood her parents, tears filling their eyes. 
She looked down and she choked out. I came back every year on my birthday and I would to see if you would keep the light on for me, but I don't know why I couldn't come in. And her dad said, I know. We watched you from this window and we prayed. We knew that you would stop when you were ready. But Jeff, what if she doesn't ever stop? What if she never turns the engine off? What if he never comes back? You're right. Sometimes they don't. We have to resist the urge to grip tightly, to make them believe, to get the outcome that we want, to get the happy ending. Their lives and their hearts will never be completely given over if we do that. Let's look back at the parable of the sower. Those who hear the word of God, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The third group, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures and distractions and their iPhones of life. And their fruit never matures. Fourth group. Hearing the word, they hold to it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Okay. Quiz for everyone. Of the four groups, how many of the outcomes are good? One. One. What group are you in? Are you in the process of hearing the word for the first time and deciding what to do with it to allow the devil to come and snatch the word away? Or maybe you're in the process of falling away in time of testing. You believe for a while, but you're choked, or maybe you're choked out by the distractions or worry or busyness or money. Or maybe you're squarely in that fourth group. And you're desperately hoping that someone from one of the other three groups will join you in the good life that Jesus offers. But I want to point something out in that fourth group. That is really hard to hear. (coughs) Patience. I want the outcome right now. Some come back and some don't. We don't know the outcome and we can't make God or anyone else follow our timeline. But Jesus encourages Patience. Whatever happens regarding those who have sons or daughters or brothers or sisters or friends who have fallen away, we will together, as a community, we're going to come together. Regardless of these groups and the outcomes and us not knowing what's going to happen with our friends, our brothers, our daughters, our sisters, our sons, we're going to do this. From Romans 
We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. My son has been found. Kill the calf. Let's celebrate. Put a ring on the finger. My son, my daughter, who once was lost, is now found. Let's party. And weep with those who weep. I don't see them on the horizon, and I don't know if they'll ever come back. But we're going to do it together as a community, living in harmony with one another. To not be haughty, we're going to associate with the lowly and never be wise in our own sight. We are in this together as a community. Humility, patience, kindness, grace, prayer. And when Christians walk away, we'll be ready to embrace them with the love of the Father if and when they do come back. I know that in your mind that you have names, you have people, there are people in your life. I am thinking of this person right now. I, I maybe have hope. I'm not sure. I've set up a table over there to your guys' right, and there's note cards with pens. I'm going to invite you to write down a name, or two, or three, or ten, and however specific you want to be, is up to you. John, Sarah, Michael, my son, my friend's daughter, maybe you want to include their last name, and I commit this week to praying for them. I will get the note cards, and I will lay them out before me, and I will pray for them. And maybe hope could be rekindled again for you. Can I make it happen? No. But what about God? Yes. God can move through the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who have walked away. Let's stand. We'll pray together. God, we are so grateful for your encouraging love, your encouraging love, humility, patience, kindness, grace, the encouragement to continue to pray for our friends, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our parents, those who we've co-labored together in Christ but have chosen a different path. God, I pray you would convict in their heart through the Holy Spirit, convict them to return to the faith that they have heard, that they've received, so that their life could be full of fruit and multiply a hundredfold. God, I pray you would soften the soil of their heart to receive your word. God, we bless you and we thank you for your word today. Amen.